Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Several months back before the pandemic, I had the pleasure of sitting down in person at an iconic restaurant in Oslo, Norway, with one of Norway's biggest rock legends, Oystein Greni from the band Big Bang, joins us in the interview segment of this show. We talk about a lot of things, including songwriting, where he thinks creativity comes from. You might be surprised to hear his answer to that question, how expectations can sort of screw things up and touring of course this is a travel podcast we are going to talk about the touring lifestyle and a ton more and one of the things that we also touch on is his experience growing up skateboarding and how that fed into his music career and helped him become successful there and this got me thinking about why there really is no such thing as wasting your time if you are following your curiosity so i want to share some thoughts about that at the end of this interview on the backside. So all of that's coming today and so much more. It's happening right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire. And I hope you're healthy. I hope you're well. Hope you're having a wonderful day wherever you are at in the world. And I hope you're continuing to embrace your adventurous soul, your adventurous spirit. I mean, after all, if you love travel, you love getting out there, exploring the unknown, I know you've got that adventurous soul. And there are many ways to tap into that adventurous soul, right? It doesn't have to be that the only way we can we can get that feeling that that sort of travel buzz is by diving into unknown places we can dive also into unknown parts of ourselves and maybe do some things that are scary that are kind of putting ourselves out there in a, in a way that uh, we're not used to so anyway i just wanted to share a little bit there before we get into the interview like you know keep the uh keep the adventurous soul alive my friend no matter what's going on keep the hope alive keep the dreams alive and also keep that adventurous soul alive and you can do it 
outside of travel, and I'm sure you are finding ways to do that and continue to find ways to do that. And uh, I want to thank you for being a listener of this show and part of this uh, listening community, this beautiful caravan of souls worldwide, adventurous souls, uh, the Zero to Travel Caravan. On the flip side of this interview, I am going to share some thoughts, like I said at the top of the show, around how seemingly disparate things that you do in life can come together at later stages in unexpected ways. That has certainly been the case in my life, and just wanted to share some thoughts around that after the interview. And also, one last thing, if you haven't signed up over at ZeroToTravel.com yet, you are missing out on all of the off-the-podcast content, newsletters, some workshops we got coming up, and so forth. The only way you can hear about that stuff is by being on the email list. So go ahead and sign up. Take like 30 seconds. I also have a free audio file for you that I'm giving out with the sign-up. You know, you always get some kind of hookup when you when you sign up with a, with your email. So I'm hooking you up. So go ahead and sign up over at ZeroToTravel.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for the incredible emails I've gotten recently and the nice reviews and all that good stuff. So love you all. Now, let's slip and slide into the interview portion of this show. Again, this was recorded pre-COVID, so I was sitting down in person at a restaurant with the front man of one of Norway's biggest bands. I know you're going to enjoy listening in on our chat, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. I'm sitting here with the front man of the band Big Bang, and that's spelled all one word, no spaces. So if you're listening to this, uh, do yourself a favor, look them up, give them a listen. You'll thank me later. They have been described as Norway's best live band, have too many accolades to list here. So I'm going to cut to the chase and say hello to Oystein Greni and say welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Hi, and thank you for having me. (laughs) It's a pleasure. Uh, I always like to kind of describe where we are if we're out in it, because we're in person here. Sometimes I do these things over Skype, but uh, this is sort of a, an iconic place that you picked. So I'm going to let you kind of give everybody the, the surroundings here. All right. Well, this place <laughs> is called Skröder or Schroeder. It's been this way unaltered for probably close to 50 years, maybe even more. Yeah. And, and Oslo's changed so much, the, especially the last 20 years. But, but this place is just the constant. So right. it's like what we call like a brown cafe. I don't know if that makes any yeah. sense. But, but you, you should know. explain that because I actually haven't talked yeah. about that. Well, brun, brun, brun cafe, yeah. we say that in, in Scandinavian. It just means, you know, you get cheap food. It means 50 menu, kroner beers, small, right? <laughs> cheap beers. So you, yeah, it's sort of like time travel a little bit. Everything's yeah. vegan and everything's gluten-free. But, but this place is just like... Good right. old Europe. They're like the old world. Yeah, they're like stuff your uh, allergies up your ass because we're just serving what we're going to serve here. And if you yeah. don't like it, that's your problem. It, we're <laughs> also for I don't know if people read Joe Nesbus books. Yeah, but we're sitting by the table where his detective Harry Hole in a, I think pretty much every book about that guy. These books sell by the millions. Yeah, we're they're sitting huge. at the detective's table 
This is, is this his actual table? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says right there. You look oh, at the plaque. Okay. So, no oh, yeah, yeah. And they're, you know, they've got these clippings from newspapers. That's this awesome. This is where the detective Harry Hole eats his lutefisk. Well done. Yeah. And um, they have some old paintings, and I love these big, cushy red booths, I guess. What is it that makes a place iconic, right? Like, is it, does it have to just be around forever? Does it have to be I immortalized think, in a book or something? I think if if they just survive, you know, if they're around for more than 30 plus years. <laughs> right. If you can make that, it that long. Yeah. You deserve status. Well, you guys have been around for a while we playing have, music. We have. You could, Thank you. You could be put into that category, I right? I hope so. I agree. Yeah. yeah. How long has it been? Put me in that category. I'm going to put you in there right now. Thanks. <laughs> no, I remember uh, when I first came to Norway, we were just listening to music and I, I told my wife... Uh, let me hear some Norwegian music. Like, give me give me a dose of culture here, you know? And the first thing she put on was you guys. And uh, I was like, yeah, this is this is rocking. So, I mean, how long have you been playing music? Well, my dad's a musician. Yeah. And he was in a soul band uh, during the 60s and the 70s. They were called the Undertaker Circus. Great band. A lot of horn players. And there was sort of like a, a blood, sweat, and tears, little feet type thing. Yeah. So he took me to band practice and taught me how to play the guitar age six or seven. Mm. I'm 45, so I've yeah. been playing forever, basically. And, yeah. and I mean, he's, he was such a music fan, you know. Lot, he used to work for Levi's, the, the jeans company. Okay, yeah. They had their offices in Oslo right next to all the record labels. So he would give them 501s and he would get all the test pressings and... <laughs> And, you know, so we probably had, no kidding, like 8,000 vinyl records really? in our living room. Wow. And and he would have his friends come over and the band and they would sit and harmonize in the living room. So I, I'm really fortunate, you know, I had so much music around growing up. Yeah. So, but what was the question again? Well, we were just talking about kind of what kickstarted it for you. And um, it sounds like you were surrounded by it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, thinking back, going to those band practices with my dad and, you know, my uncle Frank, he played the guitar. He had a red jazz master matching little beetle boots, Marshall stack. Sweet. And, and I was just sitting there on the floor checking these bearded dudes out, you know, and, and the way they were smiling at each other in between songs or while they were playing and just you know they they were so happy and they yeah. really liked each other and, and uh that energy i think was you know one of the reasons i i knew i had to make music too was that on a conscious level for you as a kid or were you no, just kind no, of no, no. soaking it, like, it in I'm, kind of I, I think on a subconscious level i you know you see grown men everywhere and most of them kind of look dull and <laughs> just like, like they, they kind of just shut off the switch a little bit right whereas my dad and his uh, you know music friends they were so alive and they were smiling they were laughing they put on a track and just go oh check out the drum fill here you know oh that's al jackson and right it's so sparse it's so cool and and they would talk about these things all the time with such a spark in their eye, you know? Yeah. And, and, and That's amazing that you were so close to that. I mean, I, I get inspired by anybody when I see them just geeking out on something. It doesn't matter if they're, you know, a physics professor geeking out on yeah. quantum mechanics or something yeah. or, you know, a musician. Enthusiasm. Yeah. It's so important, you know, like just being stoked on what, whatever it is, you know, people doing things and loving it. 
that's what matters. Yeah. And, and I, I think about that a lot, you know, because so many people, they criticize and they talk about what other people do. They read the newspaper and then they comment on a lot of negativity and just a lot of watching. And I think people just stop doing that. You know, it doesn't matter if you fall in your face or if you make a bad song. Just just write a song. Do something. Yeah. Do you Have you been able to maintain that sort of level of interest or curiosity or enthusiasm or whatever you want to call it? Uh, it like that spark you just described. Because I imagine you do something for so long. And I know, like, I mean, my personal experience with the podcast, it's such a joy. But sometimes... It's also a grind or it's hard or you're preparing and you're not like it's challenging you and that's a good thing, but you can get in these dips too. Like I'm sure you've had those. How have you kind of maintained your music career over uh, such a long time and gotten through those dips? I think at least for me, I figured it out years back. I knew that going out and, you know, schmoozing with the business people, that would ki- kill everything for me. Right. Be- because I, that's, I'm not good at it, and I feel like a, a really bad salesperson, and so, so I had to kind of shy away from that part. But, you know, fixing an old guitar that you get for cheap on Craigslist or something, and then, you know, putting some weird strings on it, just experimenting and being close to the the process of just you know just the what do you call it like the, the like the craftsmanship part yeah. of playing music you know changing a pickup trying different strings trying to learn a different instrument going to shows seeing weird music just trying to and the scene I, right <laughs> and the scene and and a very important part i think all this this focus comes from skateboarding which is what i grew up doing yeah and when you know at least back in the day all you care about as a skateboarder is go, go, going skating yeah and when we started with big bang it was just the trout's coming here. Looks yeah, delicious. We're gonna have to pause this so you can actually eat a hot meal. But I have to <laughs> I have to um this thing the skateboard mentality making music, I think has saved me because the music industry is so evil and there's such dark forces that kill creativity all over the place but if you just remember oh no it's like you go into the ramp you're gonna learn new trick you're gonna make someone smile that's all that matters yeah if you i mean if you're lucky enough to to book a show or record something or go tour great but that's not where it's at but but once you start you know getting songs on the charts and you meet all these people and their values are all wrong. Right. So so I've definitely kind of had um, like a Donnie Brasco moment where I, oh my God, I've become them. You okay, know, yeah. I've, ha- I've had that happen. Yeah. But, but. Uh, Crossed over in some way to yeah, the, to yeah, the yeah, part that you Caring about the wrong things, you know, caring about money and, and, and that will ruin everything. Yeah. Well, Let's let, let let's you eat, eat this delicious and, and meal. Back. Yeah, we're going to talk about skateboarding and all this stuff when we come back. Absolutely. Now, one of my favorite skaters, you know, Ben Schroeder, he has that last name. Are you familiar with that guy? No. You know, huge guy who rode for Dogtown and Going Trucks. Oh, really? Okay. Like, a, Yeah. He lives out in uh, Pomona. Okay. And his brother, 
Nathan Schroeder. He was the editor of Power Edge, if you ever saw that magazine. No, I mean, I had, I had the subscription to uh, Trans World and Transworld and, Trans and Thrasher. Thrasher. Those were the two. Power Edge was like the third like, okay. artsy version. Yeah. I wish I had heard of that yeah. back then. I remember my closet in my bedroom had just a collage that I cut out of just all skateboarding pictures. I was obsessed. <laughs> who, who are your favorite skaters? Um, I mean, I like probably the people that I got their boards. So all the Bones Brigade people like yeah. Tommy Guerrero and Per Wielander and, uh, of course, Tony I Hawk just met the Per Did you? at the X Games. Oh, really? Nice. <laughs> I just remembered his part from Bones Brigade 2, you know, yeah. the, like the a future primitive. Off yellow shirt riding around on the like Hollywood Boulevard or something. I was obsessed with those videos. The Bones Brigade. Sorry, um, we're recording now. We're geeking out on skateboarding. If you have a skateboarder, you're going to have to deal with this part of it because we're going to do it. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. Um, Did you watch those videos? I did. And they were impossible to get a hold of, you know, in Norway since. Oh, yeah. There were no skate shops and, and, you know, the cops would take your board and we had to smuggle trucks and wheels into the country. We had to make it, make our own boards. It was rough. Was it that illegal? Yeah. The first board that I got, uh, I bought in London. Yeah. On family vacation. And the last night there, you know, we were watching the musical Cats. Yep. At one of the London theaters. And I just kept, you know... Telling my dad, like, we got to leave. We got to leave. Skate shop's closing. Come on, come on. It was my last chance to get a real board. Yeah, you have no and idea. He, <laughs> he was furious. And he was loving the musical. But we left. We went to the skate shop just in time. And I got this board. It was the best day of my life. Which board did you get? It was a cheap, cheap one. But, yeah. you know, f- for me, it was all about it. It had wide trucks. That was right. the only thing I cared about because the boards I had prior, I made from my mom's roller skates. So they had really? these narrow little roller skate trucks. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So I would go to the ramp. There was one ramp in Throwing the Pikin or the yeah. Viglon Park. And I saw these guys, they had the wide trucks. That, that I was obsessed with that. So I got this board. It was called Mad Dog. Yeah. And it was cheap and probably really bad. But, you know. Next day, we fly back to Norway and the customs, they take my board. No way. I'm 11. I'm crying. It's so crappy. And you had to uh, send like a, a letter to Forurensningstilsynet, the Department of uh, Pollution. They really? handle these things. Yeah, because, you know, the, the law they had to make it Ill- illegal was that kids going to get tired of this. Throw the board in nature, and it's going to pollute. That was the justification. <laughs> that was the justification. <laughs> but I think that was just sloppy uh, lawmaking, you know. Yeah. I, I didn't, I'm sure they got some studies from the U.S. that said, you know, people break their arms doing this stuff. So That's interesting because probably in the U.S. it was more like, hey, these kids are punks, so we're going to outlaw this because they're like skateboarding in the malls and skateboarding in places, ruining public property. That could and be. In that Norway, be. they were more concerned about <laughs> the individual. <laughs> yeah. So so, anyways, but, but you know, my mom helped me write that letter and it took three months and I got the board back. Oh, but nice. I had to become a member of the Oslo Skate Society. So my mom and I went to the ramp and these guys were punk rockers anarchists they lived in in, what do you call it swat houses yeah you know 
And um, I remember they had such an attitude, you know. They were making fun of me, making fun of my mom. But I got that little piece of paper, the, you know, where I could pay the 50 kroner and become a member. Yeah. And you took a photo of that and sent it and uh, could apply to get your board back. And I did. <laughs> after and three months. After three months. So... Because we grew up at the same time, we're the same age, so I, it was. It's interesting to hear the how it was here because it was pretty legal in the states, but it was you know we had these bumper stickers that said skateboarding is not a crime. We, we had built definitely half pipes. got some of those in this country. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 There was like I remember the there place. was a whole, whole half pipe set up in a neighborhood like they they like built it in the woods so nobody would see it. And now you go down to the waterfront and they have these beautiful skate parks yeah. right by the water, and it's like you guys don't know how lucky you are. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this. Skateboarding thing was huge for you. I mean, it sounds like it, it seems uh, just from what I've read about you and your and your life. Um, and I just noticed you have a, a pretty awesome bone sticker on your phone, which is great. Uh, it <laughs> comes with the bearings, you know, yeah, yeah, skating yeah. vert. Oh, yeah. You want the Swiss bearings. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Saves you a lot of fatigue. Yeah. Well, you were a European champion. I mean, you weren't just like, it wasn't just a hobby for me. You were actually a professional professionally no i that was the amateur championships so you know you you win those contests and then you can turn pro that's usually how it works back in the day so i was about to turn pro since i'd won the amateur championships yeah uh when next contest that was munster which is sort of like the big world cup one of the big events back in the day and and that's where i shattered my knee yeah so i was kind of peaking right there just about to turn pro i'd quit school i had sponsors new deal skateboards and going trucks Hmm. uh, and they wanted to send me out to to california so i you know could skate with the rest of the team and it was super exciting yeah And, and i did go i mean it took like six months for my knee to heal up but the way i got the surgery that was terrible Uh, and that was part of like the public health thing here in norway where my parents they were on vacation when i got back from munster and and i had the like the whole meniscus was exploded so so my mom's having surgery for that today all right like today yeah well it's a terrible injury but those that surgery now is pretty simple yeah and it they had started doing laser but that was like for the if you were cross-country skier or like like a serious athlete you would get that treatment and the doctor which a skateboarder is but at the time i guess at they the didn't time really, exactly yeah. so so i went in just to have have it checked and i told them like oh, this is my career I, I need to get back on the skateboard quick and they gave what do you call like anesthesia or what do you yeah. call that stuff you you know they make you fall asleep they went in and without asking the surgeon just went ahead and made that operation old school where you cut open the whole thing uh, and, wow. and that means six months of recovery time which hmm. was pretty bad for me yeah right then so long story short um i basically fell apart psychologically you know and i kind of lost my self-confidence and i didn't i've just discovered that the last couple years you know like some 20 years later so i got back into skateboarding i went to the states and i did skate okay but i just you know um, didn't have that extra 
horsepower that you do need to be become a skateboard pro. Yeah. So I called my sponsors after that and got into music and just kind of channeled that skateboard sorrow yeah, I mean, into the music. Yeah. Uh, how did that exactly happen? Like, were, were you were you just recovering and you were... Was that a gradual thing no, or was it like a decision there, right also, away? So there's also the element, uh, I mean, we're talking 1991, 92. Yeah. And the small wheels and the pressure flips and the baggy pants and all, and vert was dying. And I was a vert guy. So yeah. I did get into street skating and I was trying to follow that because, you know, everyone had to sort of do all kinds of kick flips and stuff. Right. I, could, I could do that too, but, but you know, the, the kind of skateboarding that I love, that was more like Chris Miller going fast, going high, and, and just a more surfy way of skating, yeah. I right. suppose. And that was definitely not in vogue at the time. So that was also a factor, you know. And I so started playing music with my friend Krister that I met in, in school here in yeah. Oslo, and, and that just felt so much better. So uh, so I think we had maybe two or three rehearsals with Big Bang. Then I called Steve Douglas, who was team manager for New Deal, and I was like, I'm you don't have to send me any packages. I'm I'm done. Yeah. And and he was devastated. He was like, I've never had anyone call and say that because most people would just <laughs> get like their, their get their packages, you know, for as long as they could. Sure. So so uh and I kind of never looked back and I so I distanced myself from skateboarding. I yeah. didn't want to see any films. I didn't go to any contests. I, you know, I had a couple of friends that were still skating, but but uh, it's only like the last three years that I got back doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And how how's and that it's, been? Getting it's, back? It, oh, it's been fantastic. Yeah. It's been fantastic. It's like a midlife crisis. It's, thing, I had the of same course. about three years but, ago. I bought a longboard. You know, I was like, I'm going to cruise on a skateboard again. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, psychologically, I'm so much stronger now and I'm so much smarter. I eat well, which I never did. I was just, you know, I ate maybe nothing, drank chocolate milk, skated for eight hours every day. And right. yeah, and had a lot of, you know, restless thinking going on and a lot of inferiority complex type problems. I hated myself and I was trying to prove something by being a good skateboarder. This kept going into the music obviously as well, you know, yeah. thinking that no one's going to love you, but if you write a good song or if you do good in the contest, then you have value. Looking Very for the classical. external validation. Exactly. So yeah. that's been the story of my life for years. And just for the last five, six years, I sort of figured it out that, hey, I'm I'm just an okay guy. If people like my band, that's cool. But it doesn't matter. I'm I'm a good friend. I'm an okay hmm. dad, and um, that really helps. You know. Yeah. So skateboarding now it's so much more fun, and I think about it all the time. Yeah. Um, that's a huge realization, what you just described. That's not like a small thing. It makes a huge difference, and it makes life so much better. But but you kind of, uh, you know, you have to work on it a little bit yeah. just to, to figure it out. Yeah, how did you do that? Well, it kind of solved itself by me doing stupid things that got me into situations that were so bad that I had no choice but to face them. Hmm. That's a little vague, but I yeah. can't get into details. Sure. I'm sorry. Sure. But, but yeah. But it was, uh, 
basically these situations kind of had you confronting yeah f- questions for, big for, questions forced me to my knees you know yeah. where i earlier on i kind of just lied to myself and everybody else and just did pretend to well you you, you keep uh like an ideal of yourself like who you want to be you kind of cling to that for a while yeah which is a lot of work and i think most artists they do that you know mm-hmm. um, the bigger the artist probably the, the more they usually are that way yeah and that's not a good life from from my experience yeah um, you know on the small scale that i'm talking about but once you just sort of oh being an artist a songwriter is just the same as being a carpenter you just want to do some good you want to be a good craftsman and and do your best and then you don't care about it so much yeah i can understand if you're and i know you're you're kind of playing it down i mean you guys have played all over the world huge festivals tens of thousands of people it's not a small thing and if this is something these things are going on i can imagine when you're at that level you have people, you know, cheering for you every night. You're selling records. Of course, that's going to amplify everything. Right? Yeah, 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 and yeah. It, it's, it's the worst thing for your ego, and your ego will take it, and it'll grow, and yeah, you can be, become a monster that way. What are some things that you've done to to kind of, uh, I guess, rein in that ego that you're describing, and in, in your personal life? I mean, did you? So some kind of spiritual well, practice. Well, like you... I mentioned earlier, I mean, I had a situation, and it's got to do with children. Yeah, that was so serious and just so terrible and hard to face that I was forced to my knees. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, if you have a problem, get a bigger problem, and when that right. problem is huge, as in in my case, yeah then um, all the bullet kind of just dies, right. you know? So it's sort of like I'm thanking the car crash for finding Jesus yeah. type thinking. Right. I had that happen, and, and that accelerates the process. I know a lot of people that through maybe meditation or through therapy get to that same level of being humble and just, you know, relaxed about stuff. Yeah. And you can kind of tell when you meet people that, you know, these people, ooh, they're trying really hard to hang on to something and then you meet other people more like Bill Murray types and they're just <laughs> very relaxed, you know? Right. And, and uh, that's my goal, just to become a relaxed guy. I'll do my best, but I don't really care so much. Yeah. How has that um, affected your your craft, songwriting, music? Yeah, for, for a while I was worried, you know? I was thinking that becoming more relaxed like you would lose less. your edge or something exactly right? yeah, right. I, I was worried about that but but i haven't i mean i'm probably the last guy you want to ask about the quality of my songs and because i'm right in the middle of you know all of that but the way i feel about it is that no taking out the fear and the ego just makes it better and i've started collaborating with other people more whereas i used to like want all the credit and I yeah. was probably a hard guy to to work with you know because of all the insecurity and ego stuff so I would just say um, life is much better now yeah. <laughs> than it used to be I love it it's, yeah that's wonderful man it's a process for sure and I mean just being the same age I can 
yeah, I mean, there's certain realizations you have, like the longer you live too, right? There's something yeah. about that also that, that kind of... Um, it's exciting stuff and it's f- fun to just, you know, go through it and life, if everything was just a smooth roller coaster, that wouldn't be real life, you know? Right. There's got to be some challenges. Yeah. The skateboarding scene had, I mean, was heavily influenced by music, I feel like. Uh, even the actual physical act of skateboarding, at least for me and my friends, and we'd take a boombox out, put on like Minor Threat or Dead Kennedys or something, and you would just... Yeah. Start going crazy, going off ramps and skating around like a madman. And yeah. I'm just wondering like how much the you mentioned your dad's record collection and all the music you were around there, and then you were around the skateboarding culture. So yeah. how much uh of the the culture around skateboarding, the music and all that, and and what you got from your family, how much of that like it's I'm sure it's probably pretty hard to kind of identify No. No. It's easy. I Is remember it? all this stuff, you know, where I got the Huskerdo, where I found descendants and right. I mean, the whole skateboarding opened up lots of doors, you know, Sonic Youth, Dinosaur Jr. But also, I remember, you know, at the same time, I was, I would never turn my back on Huey Lewis and the Noose and Los Lobos and like more, I guess, adult contemporary or whatever. What do you call that stuff? AOC? What's what's the term for it? I don't even know. Well... (laughs) Any, anyways, you know, I, I would listen to all the blues and guitar stuff that was part of my childhood, alongside with you know Dinosaur Junior and Bad Brains. I remember really loving them, and then Fugazi and all that skate alternative subculture stuff. Yeah, but I also remember not liking all those guys with the chain wallets and the uh, punk, like they would you know people spending their money on t-shirts and stickers and you know like buying the whole thrasher package and like the skate rock tapes and just because it was in the magazine like I, that religious part right. of the skate culture i i never liked i yeah. i always wanted people to you know like mark gonzalez or neil blender like the more individual artist type skaters yeah. like i didn't like it to conform yeah well, I want to talk a little bit about songwriting. We're, we are yeah. going to get into travel and touring mm-hmm. because this is a travel podcast, of course. So yeah. uh, that's something we're going Gotta to talk keep about. keep that in mind. Yes. It seems like, I mean, your dad being an artist, I'm sure you got a lot of support. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm just no, curious. No, I did, and yeah. w- which was which is rare in Norway, you know, for my ask- generation because most parents, they were a lot of my friends that are great musicians my yeah. age they got so much hate from their parents you know that's not a real career you know go back to school quit your band whereas my parents they were always super supportive and that makes a huge difference and i'm very very thankful for that yeah and there's the Janteloven thing too exactly which is if you want to explain kind well, of generally Janteloven, that is sort of the unwritten rule for how you do things or or you behave yourself in Scandinavia and it's about don't try don't think you're anything special just you know don't get out of line and 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 be humble um, I don't know that, yeah. that's my best yeah and and it's the opposite of the la mentality where right it's, like almost it's the polar like, opposite yeah like chase your dream and all of, it's the opposite of that it's just like don't chase your dream just you know 
get a job that you can do and shut up that yeah. kind of thing do you think that that stifles the art scene here because it's great i don't know I how mean, does that play things, in you know things have been changing so much lately so so um i feel like there's lots of great things going on and like the the um you know that people have a lot more confidence than they used to so so maybe the antelope is is dying slowly how, how do you mm. feel about it i don't know because i'm you probably feel the same way being in the, you're based in the states and in norway so when you're in the states do you feel like fully ingrained in that culture or do you feel a little bit like you're still on the outside looking in in some regard Oh, definitely on the outside. Yeah. I mean, for a little while, I thought maybe, you know, I've been living in LA for, for a couple of years, but the the more I understand LA, the more I know that I'm absolutely an outsider. But, you know, that's a good thing too. And, and you will be included in many things, but but it is much more complex than yeah. than, than you would think. Well, I think about this with my kids being here because mm. I, of course, I like the value of like being humble and things like that. But also, I think it's good to embrace your talents and it's okay to stand out, yeah. you know, and do things that are bold and take risks and things like that. And certainly, you wouldn't have got to where you've been without doing that. And it sounds like you had the support at home. Mm. I mean, what kind of advice would you give to somebody that maybe doesn't have that kind of support, you know? Follow your heart and, you know, work hard. There's one thing that I like to think about. It's much more on a spiritual level is, you know, if you think about the statistics of being born in the first place, yeah. there, you know, every time there's candidates thrown out there, it's 250 million. I, I sing about this in the song Bells. So it's such a miracle that we that were born right you know and i'm thinking after that it's pretty much it's it's a party because i think <laughs> we, we we think too much about oh the future and the college and the house and nah you're alive that's what matters have fun just make it happen do yeah. things and if we die it it doesn't really matter you know you get a week on earth is much better than nothing yeah, ten years is great. We, we we our expectations they're too high. You know, you're supposed to be doing Pilates age hundred and ten. You know, and you, you worry about that. No, 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 no. Just have fun. And and back in the hunter gatherer days, you know, the the average life span was forty one years. Yeah, we're already way past that. So yeah. it's just a party. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I don't know if that helps, but if you're a struggling singer songwriter or you, you don't know what to do, just follow your heart and do something that you like. That's all I can say. Yeah. Where does creativity come from? Boredom. You think so? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you need a room for it to happen, you need space. And, and I mean, boredom is such a relative term but but i think if you're on your cell phone all the time you're not going to write a good riff so you kind of need that stretch of nothing happening or even better here's actually the the honest question to where creativity comes from it comes from having super boring tasks and you don't do them but you sit down and and write a song instead 
because that's when it's the most fun, at mm. least for me. Right. Your bills to pay or like your your taxes. You're like, screw but this, you, I'm just going to go do some songwriting. And then you see your guitar <laughs> and you're like, oh, just play a little bit. And then it happens, yeah. you know, because you're trying to, you're evasive. Yeah. Or, or no, you're procrastinating. That's that's a great thing for creativity. <laughs> Procrastination. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> well, I, that goes against the saying, have you ever heard the, the English saying, procrastination is like masturbation, you're only screwing yourself? <laughs> All right, but, but that's sometimes that's not a, an entirely bad thing that, to do. <laughs> that's great. How do you know when a song is done? Like, is that just a feeling? Like, because I'm sure perfectionism and things get in the yeah. way, you know? Oh, well, in most cases, they never are, but sometimes they right. are. And then that's rare for me, but. but but you don't, I would define it as you don't have any more questions because you, there's always questions in your head. You know, that's the typical in the mix room situation. You sit in the couch and there's guys mixing and doing things and, and you've been going back and forth and you, you're tired. And it's always a question like, mm, maybe the kick drum's a little low. That's a question. It means that the kick drum is low. So, so I mean, it used to take forever because I was so polite and you don't want to hurt the mixer's feelings, but it's in the, it's the same in the songwriting process. You know, if you're like, hmm, maybe that second verse doesn't really say anything. If you ask in that question, that second verse sucks. Right. Which if you're they asking do the question a lot in the first the place. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but, but, you know, if you play the song, you get goosebumps yourself. You're like, holy crap, you start crying because it means something to you. Chances are it'll move other people. Yeah. And that's what I go by. And, and I don't get there every time, but I do sometimes. You know, I'm like, I'll play the song alone and I'll be crying. Just like, this sounds stupid, but it's true. And, yeah. and that's as far as I get. Right. I mean, that's huge. I think yeah, if it's something that makes you feel good. Should should the rest even really yeah, well, matter? You know, you don't have to feel good. You just have to feel, feel something. something, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's uh, exactly you. You have to be moved on some some level. When you uh, sit down to write a song, so I was thinking of the guitar tone and nothing to hide, which is like as soon as I heard the tone, I'm like, like if I got that tone on my guitar, I would have been like, oh, that's just it's on. Like here we go, we're gonna write a song around this. Is that is wow. that how? something like that work is it a riff or is it a lyric first or how i'm sure it changes but on nothing to hide it was definitely the riff yeah i can't like remember what guitar but it, but but you know that comes from my friend who lives he used to be up in oregon now it's in northern california Jer, yeah. jared nelson smith and he played on the epic scrap metal tour he, I met him in LA. He was in a band called Virginius. Great band with uh, Ry Cooter's son, hmm. Joaquim. And he's just one of my all-time favorite guitar players. And he taught me this tuning, like an open G with a C on the lower E string. Okay. So wrote a bunch of songs on that, and that's where the riff came. Yeah. So, so a lot of stuff comes from tunings, in, okay. in my case. You yeah. know? So I'm always messing around with alternate tunings. And then, of course, getting the right tone that that will get you inspired. So that's that's important. Yeah. Uh, how does your relationship to a song change over time? Interesting. It will 
sometimes go out of sync with with me and and then all of a sudden it'll come back. Like there's out of sync is in like you don't like, like it anymore. Yeah, 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 you feel like I'm not that guy anymore. I, I mean, there's one song on the record, Epic Scrap Metal, that's called New Woman, which I'm really proud of. Uh, it's it's not your typical Big Bang song, but but uh, it's very very honest, and it's about. Um, you know the a very important relationship that I was in for many years, and then that ended. We got divorced, and then I'm kind of talking about this dream new woman coming into my life, and I'm sort of listing all the qualities. Oh, she's got education, she's great looking, she's got a sense of humor, and in the chorus, there's just like there's nothing wrong with my new woman, but something's wrong with me. When we listen to the music, I don't know what to feel. She never leaves this world. Got no reason to. She didn't make me write this song because this song's about you. That's the chorus, and it's very true, and it's kind of terrible because I love my ex so much, Yeah. but I can't be with her. But it's also like, you know... I don't know what it is, but but you know, happy people they they kind of lack mystery or whatever it is. You know, when, when you've been with someone who's crazy, and I've kind of always been. It's a little different now. I have a great girlfriend right now, and and she's not that crazy. <laughs> but most of the other ones have been just very crazy and great. Yeah. And, and when you're used to that, it's very hard to. But anyways, your question, this is a very long answer, but your question, so for a while there, when I thought I was happy with a, with a new woman, I didn't want to sing that song. And, and then, of course, okay. things would go down the drain and I could go back to singing that song. Right. But that's just one example. So the uh, in that example, I guess, and maybe this is true for other songs, the the emotional tie you have to the song or maybe the the genesis of where the lyrics came from or where the song came from, if something's happening in your life and, and it's bringing up that emotion, it changes your relationship to the song, yeah. essentially, right? Because it sounds like it's very... Because you can, of course, write songs that are just stories that are you're emotionally detached from, but mm. are a lot of your songs you are emotionally attached to in that way? Like you personally yeah, invested yeah. in? Yeah. If, I, you know, if I'm not attached, they don't feel like my songs. Right. So I have a couple that are, there are sort of crafted and in maybe a clever way. Like, it, you know, the words, they look like like a poem or someone sure. else's lyric or something, but it's not me. And those songs just never make the set lists. So some of my songs are probably from like an English speaker's perspective, quite clumsy and weird. But as long as I feel them, I know the audience will feel them. And, yeah. and um, that's the most important thing. Actually, let's talk about the the language thing. Was mm -hmm. it challenging to write? And I mean, obviously, you're well, perfectly never, fluent in, in I English. I never thought about it much. No. It was just something I started doing because I think most of the music I heard was all in English. Yeah, so, okay. So it's sort of, that's the music language yeah. for me. But it could also be, you know, an element of me just trying to hide from myself since, you know, self-hatred has been such a strong engine to what I'm doing. I I don't know. It's it's hard for me to see these things. Yeah. It's a constant uh reflection, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I, I worry and I'm like, well maybe the native English speaker will listen to my songs and just go right away, oh the, this is just weird. Hmm. I don't know. But to me it feels good and I've had people, you know, 
from all, all over the world really liking the songs. So yeah. maybe it works. Yeah, that must be a beautiful feeling to just show up thousands of miles away from wherever you live hmm. and have people singing along to a song that you wrote in some room, you know, one day because you were inspired and yeah. now it's inspiring them. It's just, uh, it, it really is a beautiful exchange. And uh, I wanted to ask you about touring because mm -hmm. that's a different way of traveling yeah. and certainly a different way of seeing the world. Yeah. And I spent a lot of years on, on tour as a, like an events manager, but I also worked as a tour manager for a band. So I have had the experience sleeping on the bus and doing the whole music tour thing. And it is a different animal when it comes to travel um was touring for you in the beginning what what was that like was it what, like was it a necessary evil or like to promoting yeah, your music or was no. it something you were excited about we were super excited we were young and we started touring norway which is a beautiful country you know i bought a little volkswagen bus and we'd get all the gear in there and just you know constant driving and no sleep, bad food, and all, that's and the all touring that. experience. That's the, that's the touring experience. But, but but when you think about it from a little distance, you know you you're kind of doing a, a social study is what you're doing because you, you're doing the same thing in different places. Yeah. And the reaction of you know, and this goes for both you know people at the venue, people at the gas station, at the hotel, and then the crowd you get a pretty good feel for you know what what's happening here what, what kind of place how how do these people feel about each other kind of tuning into the energy of the exactly. place exactly and, yeah. and it's so different you know just in norway you go up north and the cities are small and there's not that many people but they they just have such rad energy they love their little village and they talk about oh you should check out the mountain and we got the eagle here and they're super proud yeah then you go to some other place where people are just very insecure and they and it's interesting why are these places so different and then you look into history and you you kind of I think probably on a subconscious level, the touring musician and crew member, they, they know a lot about the world and a lot about the differences. How do, how do you feel about that from your experience? I agree. The energy thing, if you pick up on it uh, almost immediately, I don't, I don't know if that's a, you can't really describe that as a sense. I mean, it's definitely a sense within human beings, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you kind of roll up to a place, you get out. Yes, you don't know anybody. Yes, it's a new town. You could have all these ideas in the world about what this town may or may not be like, hmm. but even if nobody says a word, which of course they're talking around you and things are happening, but hmm. you can pick up on the vibe yeah. of a of a place. I don't really know how else to describe it. Well, um, there'd be things like I just remember the first time I went to Kirkenes, which is like as close as you get to the Russian border, way up north in Norway. Yeah, and. There were only porn magazines in the food store in the magazine <laughs> really? section. And that That's right odd. there tells you and there were a lot of daytime drinking going on and then you just realize, oh, well, there used to be a magnesium factory or some some kind of, you know, big industry thing that went bankrupt and people are just there on welfare. Yeah. That's just an example. Right. And the history makes the place and certainly and, a big and, part and of then, what it is. You know, you go to like a place in former Eastern Germany, and the club is pretty run down. But 
they invite you to your to their home and Super cook you like that little home cooked meal. You know those things. You never forget it, and it makes such a difference when you're out touring. When, yeah, are those stuff the like things that happens. you are those the things you remember? Uh, like if you think back, is touring. I'm sure if you just think about the word touring and you think back, you're getting like a barrage of images in your head, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, are the things that you kind of hold near and dear as far as the travel experiences and on touring, I mean, are they more like the epic stage moments where you really connected or is it more of the small things you're talking about where you you know got invited to somebody's home for dinner? Or- yeah. Well, I feel like these are two different things. You have the, the thing that concerns the music right. and... and when it comes to that, it's never the amount of people or like, oh, that's such a great festival. That doesn't matter. What matters is how well we play and if we interact with the audience in a good way. That yeah. could happen. It usually happens more in the small clubs because the acoustics are better and, and we tend to relax more. Whereas right. at Roskilde or some some big festival, you're much more tense. You know, you want to impress. Yeah. And that kills it a lot. I mean, it's still a decent show, but it's not like you get those moments. Right. The moments come when, I don't know, the the little gears align and, and that, I guess that's magic. Yeah. Could happen anywhere. But then, you know, meeting cool people, seeing different places and, and uh, yeah, all that personal stuff. You, you, you feel like you make friends. That you, that's great when that do you happens. have a, a favorite tour that I think some like the first or the second tour that we did in Brazil yeah that was amazing yeah it's such a different that, country and it's so beautiful and the people are great it's very exotic for me being a Norwegian so that was definitely that felt like a, a an adventure and, and it was well organized too you know and, yeah and and the people over there, they were starved for our kind of music because hmm. they have such great stuff of their own. But, you know, when they hear the way we were playing rock and roll, they just went nuts. There's some special, uh, I, the only word I can describe is, is some special passion people in South America have like Absolutely. within their souls that are just like, I don't know, or, or maybe they're just freer to express it or something. I don't know. They have, they have some kind of something (laughs) yeah i I, I found that in my experience yeah it's hard to to pinpoint what it is but but it's a very special place i i haven't been to asia i haven't been to india or or even africa so so i i don't know too much about the world but but uh i think you know a few things well i (laughs) of the places i've been yeah yeah. i love south america and it was interesting touring the u.s when we came to new orleans I did not um, feel like I was in the U.S. at all. I felt like I was in South America. Really? Yeah. It. I was just like, no, this isn't part of the U.S. Mm-hmm. We're in South America. New Orleans is a that very was special a place. Yeah, it is great. I, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been there, but um, I have so many memories of just seeing live music there at odd times. There's just always great amazing stuff going on. You have on. like little kids playing the trumpet better than anyone you've ever <laughs> 12 heard. years old you're like what no. is this kid <laughs> yeah it's very fast and, and some of the music that I love the most comes from New Orleans yeah. you know like the meters Professor Longhair all that second line all that rhythmic aspect Alan Toussaint Productions and Lee Dorsey that stuff I love it hmm. so 
Maybe one day I can live there. I don't know. Yeah? I mean, well, I you, you live in Los Angeles and Norway, so like how often do it, you... How, how much... Yeah, what's your time split? Is it... Usually now, since my daughter goes to school here in Norway, I'm there maybe two or three months out of okay. the year, and then I rent the house out. Yeah. But we used to live there. She, she started school in, in Echo yeah, okay. Park. So how does she like being back here after... She loves it. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, she also loves Los Angeles. But I must say this. I mean, it seems like everywhere in the U.S., raising a family, you got your, you know, medical insurance things, if things go wrong. It's a sketchy place. You know, people are afraid unless you're filthy rich and have everything taken care of. But, you know, people work so hard so many hours and things go wrong there a lot, you yeah. know. Whereas in Norway, it's, no, you're you're here, you're good. It can't, you know, no one will, you won't end up on the streets. Whereas yeah. some really good people end up on the streets all over the U.S. And when you're a father... You start noticing these things. So this is not the tourist perspective. This is, you know, when you live live somewhere and you see your neighbor kind of lose their job and all that stuff. It's it's rough. Yeah. So so and I think my daughter she picks up on that stuff too. So we like going there and, you know, doing the fun stuff. But leading your life is much easier in Norway, no doubt. Yeah, it is. It's sad how um like you mentioned, just uh, one thing could happen to anybody and you could all of a sudden be facing hundreds of thousands of dollars of ridiculous medical bills because of one accident and then you're in debt for the rest of your life, for example. Yeah, and could just a, be lot, a lot thing. of my it's, friends uh, had just craziest things happen, you know, and in Norway, we don't even think about that stuff. And, and um, more Norwegians should think about it because they don't know how lucky they are. How how did you end up there? I mean, why did you choose America as a second place to live? Like, why are you even splitting time? How did that all go down? I I was just curious, and I always, you know, being a skateboarder and listening to all this music, I was just drawn towards the California culture. Yeah. So we were touring, and the first three or four times we came to LA, I hated the place, like yeah. everybody does, you <laughs> right. know, and you can't figure it out. And on the fourth trip. I met my friend Andrew. He lived in Echo Park. And I sort of just had a eureka moment where huh. I realized, oh, now I get it. It's not a city. It's spread out. Oh, you have these neighborhoods. Right. And some of these neighborhoods are the best places you could ever be. And I remember we were playing a place called Spaceland in Silver Lake. And, you know, after soundcheck, I went walking up the hills there. And I was like, oh, this is where I want to live. Really? That's That's what I thought. And it was impossible at the time, you know, financially. And then I think three or four years later, there was this housing crash thing. I bought the place in Echo Park in 2009. And the dollar was low. So I could get a pretty good lot. The house was just a teardown. But I could get this for... I, I couldn't even get a, a a toilet in Oslo for that money. <laughs> right. So so I just lucked out big yeah. time. Wow. And then um, that's where we wanted to live for a while. Yeah. Has um all the touring and uh, being in two countries and the way you've lived your life for some mm. dec couple decades now, yeah. has that uh, changed 
your idea of what home means? What does home mean well, to you? Well, I feel like I just discovered what home is very recently because I used to feel alienated at home in the at-home situation because I thought, oh, you got to be touring. You got to be out doing stuff. Right. And then I came home and I was just, you know, like you read about a soldier coming back from war and, and you just don't get it. You don't realize. So, so only the last two, three years have I been able to, you know, lie on the couch watch the simpsons or yeah. you know whatever's on netflix and actually enjoying that because i could never relax enough to do that no. before so it's a new thing from like i enjoy every night like you know i what do you call it like you take a kitchen cloth on your countertops and you, you the dishwasher yeah. and you do all that stuff all the routines all the routines yeah. i i never could never do that. No. That's a new thing for me, and I love it. So I actually said this to my bandmates recently that I used to, now I I go on tour, and it's doing my job, and I just want to get back home. Yeah. Whereas it used to be the other way around. Isn't it funny how that changes? You know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I have, love it. It's, I have a very similar experience because yeah. it took me, I couldn't feel comfortable just being in one spot after touring it's like you'd walk in your you door get restless and, yeah, well, and you like get it was uprooted all yeah it's, it's weird it's like it never happened and then you're home and you don't know what to do with yourself you gotta go back on tour exactly to feel like you're moving and seeing things and doing things and it's i think it's an odd uh it's like the, i mean just working as a tour manager i know it's it's i don't know if this is a good parallel but like that moment when you come off stage and it's just like crazy and then you're just like in the green room and it's yeah, quiet yeah, yeah. It's weird. I, I thought you know usually films about this kind of thing they're always bad but the actually a star is born is really good yeah you know how that guy feels after the show and he wants to go drinking has a hard time slowing down or whatever it's it's very real yeah that that's the way it is and and that stuff will kill you <laughs> yeah yeah, it's nice to be able to be at peace with just routine and home. Exactly. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And just knowing that it's just a job. You know, you go out there, sometimes you don't sing that well, and, and that's okay. Whereas I used to, you know, get really depressed, or it used to mean too much to me. Sure. And um, that was a bad thing. Yeah. What's next for you and Big Bang? And feel free to share whatever right. that you want with Right here. now, I'm... That beautiful phase of writing new songs. I yeah. have this riff that I love. I'm working on it. And it's like fishing. You got to be, you know, you got to be careful. You don't want to lose it. Yeah. You don't want to force it too much. So I'm, I'm doing that. I'm writing some music for television. We're playing a little tour in Denmark. And we're playing a bunch of festivals this summer. I'll be in April writing. Oh, that is, there's my dad. That's rad. He's coming in. Nice. Let's, let's get him in the interview. All right. Bring him in. <laughs> He's making a podcast. So what do you want to say about music? About music? We were just talking about some uh, skateboard pads for the photo shoot on Sunday to make a new poster that is banned. <laughs> We're deep in the music here. I told you. <laughs> we were talking about you earlier, so I'm guessing your ears were burning. You ended up coming in here. You must have heard us 
overheard us talking about you. <laughs> all good things. All good things. <laughs> Pretty good. We started out with this place all to ourselves. Yeah, and yeah. There you go. Up. <laughs> I think that was it. Okay, cool. Right. Thanks okay. for your time, man. There you have it. Big thanks to Oystein Grenny for coming on the show, hanging out. It was really cool to get to chat with him and check out their music. Big Bang, you have to type in without spaces because if you type in Big Bang, there is another Korean, South Korean boy band called Big Bang. And that's uh, not who I interviewed. I interviewed Big Bang, the Norwegian rock band. <laughs> so just wanted to make sure you got that clear in case you were on your way to check them out after this podcast. A couple things before I let you go. First of all, don't forget, sign up over at zerototravel.com. Seriously, if you haven't done it yet, I mean, come on. You've been listening to this show. You've been hanging out. Sign up over there. Keep in touch. I want to hear from you. And you can always reach out. Jason at zerototravel.com is my email. This is a community-powered show. I really do rely on you, not only to keep the show going, but to give me the fuel for the fire to keep the show going. I really love to hear from listeners and hear what you're up to, get your recommendations, uh, just hear your story. If you have any topics you want me to cover, I'm all ears. I'm all ears. It's a two-way conversation, so get in touch. Send me an audio file if you want to come on the show. I'm still looking for those. And I do want to give a quick shout-out to one of you beautiful souls in this listening community, Rebecca, over in the Lake District, UK. She said, hey, Jason, Back in 2015, on my daily commute via Manchester, England's tram network, I miraculously found your podcast. It got me through my nine to five. I promised myself that when I eventually became location independent, I would finally reach out to you. Well, I'm not quite there, but I really must thank you for helping me recently, so I'm jumping the gun. I've just finished catching up on your most recent podcast episodes. I really needed to hear those. I was very motivated and productive for the first couple of the months of the pandemic raging across the world. I worked hard on my blog, courses, and even that seemingly endless to-do list was shrunk considerably. But recently, I felt low, increasingly frustrated, and unbeknownst to me at the time, my dreams had gotten smaller and I'd become close-minded. I currently, with my parents, back in my childhood bedroom, moved back here three years ago for lots of reasons, but the main ones was, was to allow me to build up my blog and obtain a modest income working online so I could get on the road. Over the last few weeks, I've found myself applying for jobs I don't want in places I don't want to live and forming friendships with unlike-minded people as loneliness and fear set in. Catching up on your podcast episodes with your amazing, inspiring guests has seriously helped me refocus, reignited my desire to travel full-time, someday soon, hopefully, and has given me the kick in the arse I needed to get out of my funk. All of these lofty, amazing, and scary dreams are all back. So thank you, really. I know that I'm fortunate to have supportive parents I can live with while I build up my blog. And now that I'm believing in myself again, and I have a plan in action because both are necessary, she said, I'm feeling positive about the future and the present. Uh, thanks again, Jason. So, And then she finished, if not now, then when, right? And then she shared some awesome pictures uh, of her. I hope she doesn't mind me reading this because uh, I'm actually trying to get her on the show because she's got a really cool blog called almostginger.com. And it's all about like traveling to film locations like famous film locations and, you know, kind of a good excuse to just go check out some different places. So anyway, I'm trying to rope her into an episode on uh, maybe her top five film, uh, best film locations to travel to. So, you know, a couple that stand out to me, I just thinking off the top of my head. I mean, everybody's, a lot of people, I guess, know that Lord of the Rings was shot in New Zealand, all that 
epic scenery looks pretty epic. That would be a good example of one for me. But uh, anyway, we'll see if we can get her on. And either way, thank you, Rebecca, for sharing this email, checking in. You know, it's always cool to hear. We all go through ups and downs, right? Things happen in life. Like what's going on right now is totally beyond anything I, I even could have ever imagined. But even just in regular life, pre-pandemic life, I mean, things things go up and down. Sometimes we're really focused and excited about our dreams. And sometimes we lose that momentum. And I just wanted to tell you, Rebecca's email was a reminder of this, that, hey, just because some dreams or ideas you might have seem to like lose energy or waffle doesn't mean that they're gone forever. It's just like a little fire, you know? Sometimes the, the fire flame goes down a bit and then you pump some air in there and it gets it back going again. This is normal. It's normal. That's all I wanted to share. It's normal. So don't feel like you're like a bad person or like you uh, you can't, you know, follow through with anything because, you know, everything you dream about, like ends up, you ends up losing your excitement for it. Listen, I think we all have a little bit of shiny object syndrome from time to time. And uh, yeah, this is normal. These are the ups and downs of life. So do not feel bad. Not that you were, but um, this was a good reminder for me to, uh, you know, just uh, keep on keeping on. And let's see, there was one other thing I wanted to talk about. Oh, yes. What we talked about at the top of the show, uh, you know, Oystein during the interview mentioned how skateboarding, his experience skateboarding gave him the focus to uh, succeed as a musician. And I have found this to be so true in life. You know, as I'm older now, I can look back and see that a lot of the things that I've done before, although I, I, I wasn't sure if I was building particular skills at the time, it turns out that I was. I'll give you a personal example. You know, when I was uh, working these touring jobs out on the road doing these events, I mean, a lot of my friends were climbing up the corporate ladder and doing other things. And I was just kind of at the tour manager level out on the road, but I love to travel. That's what I wanted to do. But sometimes I would get a little bit of anxiety around like, hey, you know, shouldn't I be like building a career a little bit more or, or kind of doing something maybe a little more on a on a career track that would allow me to move up. And part of that's because I wanted to challenge myself. But the other part was like more of the societal pressure. And, you know, I didn't see really anywhere to go beyond where I was in terms of uh, my role as a tour manager. But I was also fine with that because I was getting to travel. I was seeing things. I was traveling in between contracts all over the world. This is what I wanted to do. This is the way I lived my life out on the road and I loved it. So I was at peace with that, but there were times where I was not, I was unsure if I was doing the right thing. Well, it turned out, <laughs> I mean, I never would have guessed this, but all of those random conversations I've had with people and at these events and wherever, Walmart parking lots or whatever middle nowhere park in Kansas or whatever Minnesota State Fair, all these places all over uh, mostly the United States, all of those probably tens of thousands of conversations, random conversations I had with strangers, in one way I can associate that with this podcast because I do believe all of those hours of conversations, like literally thousands, tens of thousands probably of hours, taught me how to keep a conversation going with all different types of people. And I probably learned a lot of my interviewing skills uh, just from talking 
<laughs> to people at events. And I never could have predicted back then that, oh, well, yeah, one day, you know, 10 years from now or whatever, I'm going to start a travel podcast and that's going to be my next career. So, you know, you can't predict where things are going to go. I mean, this pandemic is proof of that, right? If you need proof of that. So what I wanted to just kind of sum up as a as something to take away is if you're following your curiosity and you're following your heart and you're into something and even even if it doesn't feel like uh okay maybe that's not generally a thing that's accepted by other people whether it's like a career or like you know maybe other people think you should be on some kind of career track and you're not or maybe it's something else maybe it's something that uh your friends think is weird or something that you know even you might think uh you know should i be doing this i have other things to do maybe this is a waste of time i shouldn't be sitting here you know stenciling this big uh, art piece I'm working on or whatever. It's not a waste of time. Following your curiosity, following your heart. You heard that in the interview today, right? It's not a waste of time. It's uh, it's life. It, it's a valuable part of life. It's what makes life uh, great. So, uh, you know, the, the bonus is that a lot of these things that you do that may not seem like they would tie in at all to anything you might do in the future, you never know. Unexpectedly, these things swoop back around and next thing you know, you're like, oh wow, that thing I did like five, 10, 15 years ago, that that whole experience I had, that's really helping me right now. I mean, you can relate to that through travel, right? It's like, well, what what do you get quote unquote accomplished by traveling the world for a year? You're not, you might be checking off a bucket list, you're not checking off a to-do list or growing a business or growing your career or whatever. But we don't do it for that. We do it to have an experience and to have self-growth and to learn. And you know, how many times has your travel experience, the things that have uh, shaped you through traveling, come back into play in random, you know, quote unquote, normal life? So, I mean, this all ties together. We can't isolate these things. And I don't know. I I know this is a bit of a long rant, maybe longer than usual, but. Just thought uh, that was worth sharing. So anyway, there you go. I should let you go now, right? Probably got some stuff to do. Probably going to go, I don't know what you're going to go do. I'm not even going to go guess. I will leave you with a quote, though, kind of related to what I just talked about uh, with the whole following your curiosity and things unexpectedly kind of connecting and maybe coming back later on. And this is that famous quote from... Steve Jobs, who said, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. That was from a commencement address he did in 2005. So there you go. I'll leave you with that. Much love to you all. Thank you again so much for listening. If you got a minute, sign up for that email list at zero to travel.com and leave a review for the podcast. Those are like, uh, those make my day if you got time. Anyway, have a wonderful day, night, evening. Enjoy. Much love. Peace. This podcast has been brought to you by zero to travel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.